everybody. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, you missed out on Kevin's introduction to a new series that we're doing. And um, the series covers um, a whole lot of characters throughout the Bible. So we, I guess we could say that they're like character studies. Um, so uh, if you were here last week, um, oh, no, no, hang on, let me just... Let me just back up a bit. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, and I've checked with Kevin, <laughs> but I don't think this is going to come off quite. <laughs> the character that I've been given to speak on, if you were here last week, I've been given the character Gehazi to speak on. And if you were here last week, Kevin had already touched on him, so my message is only going to be 10 minutes long. Because <laughs> I thought I might get a hallelujah, but that's all right. No. <laughs> Not really. (laughs) Okay, so um, that's fine. That's all right. I'm going to take a closer look at Gehazi this morning, and uh, and uh, I'll pray soon. But um, Kevin said last week, if you were here, Gehazi is not the kind of person we want to model or be, which is correct. He, uh, if you heard the message read, he lied in order to better himself. Himself. But the fact is, when we look at Gehazi and take a close look at his character and dig into uh, his background, I trust that we'll see that in many ways, we're actually not too different from Gehazi. Gehazi, unfortunately, gets caught in a situation where he is tempted to sin. So um, I think that's all I wanted to say at this point. Shall we... Open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this passage looking at the character of Gehazi to see, Father, how you might speak to us from it. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working among us this morning to draw us in to the passage, to identify with Gehazi, but also, Father, to be challenged in regards to your character. For we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Last week we heard about a character by the name of Naaman. And I don't know if you can remember, but it was pointed out to us that Naaman was an outsider. He was an Aramean. He wasn't of the nation of Israel, and as such, he was viewed dimly by those who were Jews. He didn't belong. Secondly, Naaman had leprosy. That dropped him another notch in the estimation of a Jew. So when Naaman came to the land of Israel to see the prophet Elisha, you could imagine what people thought of him. Oh, here's an outsider, and he's diseased. They may not have known about his background. All they knew was he wasn't like them, and he had a disease. Naaman comes to the prophet Elisha and he asks him to be healed, which he is. 
and he rejoices, Naaman, and he says to, uh, to Elisha, take all of this money. You know, some people will pay thousands of dollars for treatments, for cancer, for other diseases. Naaman was so grateful, he couldn't be thankful enough. Here, Elisha, take this, and Elisha says, no, nope, I won't take anything for the gift of God. In the background is our character this morning, Gehazi, who thinks otherwise. No, that's not right. And so this is what we read. Oh, wrong direction. This is what we uh, read. Go in peace, Elisha says to Naaman. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. Now, I want to point out here that the first thing that comes to mind about the character of Gehazi is he has a strong sense of justice in his mind. This guy is an outsider. He's coming here sick. He's offered money, and my master has said, no, go. That's not fair. If anyone should pay for the services of my master, it should be an outsider. So firstly, the point I want to make is Gehazi has a strong sense of what is just and what is fair in his mind. Are you and I like that? Sometimes as Christians, we can have too strong a sense of what's fair and just. And we can be too judgmental about others and what's right and wrong and what should be happening. Notice also as the passage goes along that we read this. He was too soft by not accepting from Naaman what he bought as surely as the Lord lives. Gehazi believes in God's name that his master has not done the right thing by accepting this money from an outsider. I will run after him and get something from him. Now, I want to try to illustrate this with a modern contemporary um, story. And I've decided to pick on a Hamilton dentist. Now, this is not Jono. Where's Jono? He's oh, John, right there in front of me. Sorry, John. This has got nothing to do with you, Jono. This has com been completely driven by the fact that I had to go to the dentist this week, and he extracted $140 from my pocket. So this is a dentist story. Now, uh, you imagine a dental practice that is not Jono's in Hamilton, and uh, there's a receptionist sitting there, and this guy comes in who's obviously not from Hamilton. Uh, he, yeah, it's terrible. He walks in. He's actually on holiday here from overseas, and his accent is, you can tell. And he comes in here in absolute agony into the dentist's um, surgery. Uh, is that what you call it? Practice. And he says, oh, I need to see the doctor in broken English. I need to get to see him now. And the receptionist says, I'm sorry that um, we're booked up for two weeks. In her head, she's thinking, who does this guy think he is? He travels in here, he's an outsider, and he thinks he can just see the dentist like that. But she has to be polite, outwardly, and that, no matter what she's thinking. So she says, no, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait two weeks, sir. And at that point, the dentist comes out and hears what's going on and says, can I help? And uh, 
This dentist is uh, compassionate. He's caring. It's like Jonah. So, but it's not about Jonah. Sorry. And um, he comes out and says, can I help? And this guy runs over to the dentist and drops at his feet and hugs him around the feet. And, that. and the re- receptionist thinks to herself, mm, this is not culturally what we do around here. Plus, you know, it's kind of like bribing. Or this. She thinks these things, and the dentist says to her, look, we've got a bit of a slot in the schedule for this afternoon. We'll move things, and I'll fix this guy up in half an hour. So she fixes him up, and he is so grateful and comes out, and he pulls out this big wad of money and says, you've got no idea what you've just fixed me up from. I want you to take $10,000. And this uh, dentist says, look, I just want you to know that we're great people in here, uh, here in New Zealand. I just want to bless you. I want to make you feel welcome in our country. It's free of charge. Go. Fantastic. And the receptionist thinks to herself, because she's a Christian, that's not fair. <laughs> there are people here who are senior citizens <laughs> who come in and they've got to pay and they struggle. But he gives this foreign guy uh, traveling here to New Zealand a free half an hour dental appointment to fix him up. So <clears throat> that's how Gehazi is thinking about uh, what's going on. It's not too different to you and I. It's not fair that Naaman, the outsider, a sick guy, comes in here and just gets fixed up like that. And Gehazi is thinking in God's name, but from God's perspective, God loves the outsider. And God wants to reach and bless the outsider. But somehow there's a barrier in Gehazi's religious thinking about what's fair and just in God's name. And without even realizing it, he's getting in the way of God in what's going on. So to start with, so to start with, it's about justice and fairness in God's name. It's only after this that we get into the lying bit. Now, uh, let me think. No, we won't get into the lying bit yet. I just want to say something else about Gehazi. Sorry, I'm getting a bit muddled up, but I think people can see the humor of it. (laughs) Okay, so we want to say this. Now, at this point, before we get into the lying bit, that we don't want to be like Gehazi in that way. If you had said to Elisha, his master, now, what do you think of your servant Gehazi? Is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? What do you think Elisha would have said? Probably, when Katie read the passage, we may have quickly assumed that he was a bad guy, right? And he's always been a bad guy. We're quick to do that. When we see people fall into sin or fall from grace, we think, what a terrible person. But maybe they're not always like that. So if you had asked Elisha, what do you think of your servant? I'm going to suggest that he would have said that Gehazi is a good servant. You couldn't have asked for a better servant. And I'll tell you why. And I'm digging into the rest of what we find out about Gehazi in the Bible. In the previous chapter, in chapter 4, we have a situation or a story there 
where Elijah, Elisha has promised an elderly couple a child. They have the child. In a few years' time, the child is in the field with his father, and he goes, my head, my head. Do you know the story? Anyone know that story from Sunday school days? The parents take him home, and he dies. And the mother goes to Elisha and says, come, can you heal my son? Now, in the background of that story, in the previous chapter, Elisha asked Gehazi to do seven things. Go and get the woman. Go and ask her what I can do for her. This is what Elisha is asking Gehazi, the servant, to do. Repeat to me what she asked for. Go and call her to come and see me personally. Go run out to meet her to see if everything is okay. Run and put my staff on the boy's face until I arrive, who was dead in the room. Go and get the boy's mother and father and bring them to me. Now, nowhere there do we have a Gehazi as a servant saying, Oh, come on, I can't be bothered. I don't get paid enough to do this. This is not in my contract. Can't you get someone else to do it? As Christians in our workplaces, we want to be good servants, don't we? And as such, we don't want to complain and we want to do the best we can in our workplace as the boss asks us, and that's good, that's great. So we're not too different from what we think we can figure out about Gehazi before we get to the bad bits. He's a good servant. He's a faithful servant. He does everything as best as he can as his master asks him without complaining. The only fault that we can find about Gehazi is probably that he takes his job so seriously that he forgets about caring for people because when the woman comes to Elisha and drops at his feet and puts her arms around him, he tries to push her away. Uh, That's not customary around here. We don't do that. That's about the only fault that we can put on Gehazi at this point. So we read on, going back to chapter 5. Hopefully I'm not too confusing here that you can keep up with me. We read this. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman with a sense of justice in his mind. When Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Yeah, everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say... Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. (gasps) That's a lie. That's not true. Imagine if we go back to the dentist, to the receptionist, and she had heard that When his tooth was healed, he was going to go down to the bakery and eat some sweet things and that. So she knew where he was going. So she said to the other receptionist, can you take over? I just want to go and see this foreigner from overseas. And she arrives there and he stands up and says, is everything okay? I recognize you. You were the receptionist at the dentist. And on her way there, she's thinking, oh, 
how am I going to get some money to make it fair, to get justice or things done right? And so she says to him, the landlord wants an advance in rent, $1,000. And he says, take 2000 Your dentist wouldn't take the 10000 And suddenly, the receptionist gets caught in her own lie. I don't know whether she had a conscience and thought, oh, maybe I've overdone it. But she has to follow through. How many of us find ourselves caught in a situation like that? We want to do the right thing. Thanks, Henry. We want to do the right thing, and sometimes we tell just a little bit of a white lie. The ends justifies the means for us sometimes. We just we don't mean any harm. We just want things to be right and fair. It may be that that is how Gehazi is thinking. So we ask maybe now three questions. Was Gehazi truly interested in fairness so far? I think he was up to a certain point on the strength of his character back in chapter 4. Two, was Gehazi initially concerned for fairness, but the lie generated suggests that Gehazi, somewhere along the line, had suddenly realized there was an opportunity to better himself through telling this lie. Somewhere along the line, something had changed. When temptation presented itself, and Gehazi saw the opportunity, as good as a Christian as he was, well, he wasn't a Christian, but you know, he took the bait and got himself into trouble, which just seemed to get deeper. Or was Gehazi devious from the word go? And he looked at every opportunity to exploit situations to get rich. Don't see that up until this point. He unfortunately gets caught in a position he doesn't want to find himself in. But nevertheless, his character changes. And he sees an opportunity to get rich. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. As far as talking about us being not too different from Gehazi, maybe we wouldn't tell a lie to get rich, but has there ever been the temptation in the accountant's office around tax time? When the, uh, the accountant says, I can't remember, how much did you earn this year? Oh, 30000 <laughs> Or if somebody offered you a million dollars with no strings attached, would you say, I'm sorry, I'm living a life of self-denial following Christ. I don't want to better my life. I want to lose my life in order to gain it. No thanks. Not many of us would. If it truly was no strings attached. It wouldn't be hard when we think about our motives and how we're driven and what we want in this life to maybe get caught 
So it's not good of us to stand in judgment on others or on Gehazi too quick. For there's no one who is righteous, the book of Romans tells us. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. It's very easy to see the faults in others or the sins in others and to point that out into it in order to elevate ourselves. In many ways, we're not too different from Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. It's the next lie. Sometimes when we lie, we have to tell lies to cover the lie. It can perpetuate. Gehazi is digging himself a bit of a hole with Elisha. Gehazi answered, but was not my spirit with you? Uh, Elisha answered, when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes? Or olive groves and vineyards, or flocks and herds, or males and female slaves? Well, Gehazi didn't ask for olive groves and vineyards from Naaman, nor flocks and herds, or male or female slaves. So we wonder why Elisha said that. Was it simply for impact? Or perhaps he's saying, you know, one thing can lead to another. Once you start down that track, you can ask for more. And then, in the last verse, it takes us to where we should go next and talk a little bit about the character of God in all of this. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous, it had become white as snow. Although God is not mentioned in the passage, Elisha doesn't have power in and of himself to do this. This is a judgment of God through Elisha on Gehazi. And it raises in our minds some big questions about the character of God and what God is like. Because I don't know if this had crossed your mind or whether it has yet, but this seems incredibly disproportional to the crime that was committed. Someone lies and they and their children who haven't even been born and their grandchildren are cursed with leprosy? Is that what God is like? Some people may answer in this way. God is holy, and God cannot tolerate sin, for sure. So it's not inappropriate for God to do whatever he likes. That's what we might call a 
perfunctory answer. That means it's just matter of fact and there's been no feeling put into it, no real thought. But I'll tell you what, if we were in the accountant's office and told a lie and a voice came from heaven saying, I'm going to curse you and your children and your children's children with leprosy forever and ever, we wouldn't say God is holy and just. We'd think that that's not right. Bear with me. Don't get too upset yet. There's an answer to all of this. We might often complain when we miss out on a job, let alone if we were struck with leprosy. I thought God was going to give me this job. But what if God did this in our lives? I suspect this, just to encourage you to think a bit. Under the Old Testament law and Old Testament times, whenever a person lied, they weren't struck by leprosy, along with their children and their children's children. There's a thought. This is a unique example. It's saying something quite different to us, because under Old Testament law, there were prescribed ways when a person sinned, of recognizing that, taking a sacrifice to the temple and acknowledging their sin. The sacrifice might never take away sin, but it pointed to the greater sacrifice. But there were a way of dealing with sins. So what's going on here? And perhaps the thing that we don't see in turning everything that's been said so far up on its head uh, and turning it over is this. God is incredibly loving. And incredibly just. And incredibly fair. So much so that he loves beyond the boundaries of religious custom people on the outside who have leprosy. Who, and it may be a hereditary sort. It may not be actual leprosy. Who, who have the risk of their children and their children's children getting this. God wants to set people free. He wants to set them free from all that sin brings in people's lives. He doesn't want people to be oppressed and held down. And even though on the surface of things, Gehazi is trying to make a personal gain, the real issue is not the lies in Gehazi's life, but the fact that even if it's unbeknown to him, on account of his cultural boundaries, he is preventing God from blessing and showing love to people on the outside. Because that's what God is really like. And the devil would love very much for us to focus in on leprosy uh, is what you get for lies. That's not what God is like. And the sad thing is, I feel, think, that the devil is very busy about planting this idea in people's minds. That God is something like a cosmic monster standing in the background, watching over our shoulders. As soon as we do something wrong, even if we're a good servant, bang. When I was, became a Christian in my mid-teens and, uh, and going along as a Christian, I thought my dad was an atheist, um, he, which means he didn't believe in God. And um, 
we weren't allowed to talk about religion or anything like in the house. And the house dad wanted nothing to do with God or anything like that. And I remember the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on the door once and dad going out in a rage to the window. You've got a cheat coming to our house pushing your religion. We've got our own religion. I thought, what religion is that? <laughs> Atheism or what? I don't know. For 60 years, Dad was like that, anti-God and anti-religion. And one day I got to talk to him about it, very difficult to do, and I found out what stood behind this. In his 20s, or in his teens, Dad had a dog uh, called Tiny. It wasn't a tiny dog, it was a big dog, but he called it Tiny. And um, it got old, and as it got old, Dad got busier with life, and he neglected his dog. And the dog got arthritis. And Dad knew in his background he wasn't caring for his dog. And um, one day he came home in his truck. uh, And I think he did demolition work at the time. Shot in the drive. It was after dark. And hit his dog. And the dog was yelping and screaming. And Dad had no chance to think. He had to put the dog out of its misery. And by his own hands, I think he got an axe off the back of the truck and used the back blunt end of it and put his dog down, knocked his dog over the head. And the trauma of it all and the emotion with the dog that he loved somehow generated in his mind that God had done this. That God had put dad in a position on account of neglecting his dog to put his own dog down and it was a punishment. So I realized dad wasn't an atheist. He believed in God but he believed in a God who was like some kind of cosmic monster who was there when one little opportunity or slip-up comes in our lives, boom. No. In this passage, turning it up on its head, God is so loving and so caring to the outsider. And what he is in a sense saying to Naaman is this, if you don't want me to care for them in this unique case, then you'll see what it's like. You see how it feels to have that which I've freed Naaman from put on you. In some ways, there's parallels to Jesus' ministry in the New Testament. When Jesus wanted to show his love to the outsider, to the prostitute, to the tax collector, To the foreigner, people began to talk because it didn't fit into their cultural understanding of what is right and what's wrong. And it came to a point after one healing where people said, must be by the power of the devil that he does this. And at that point, Jesus introduces the idea of the unpardonable sin for standing in the way of what God wants to do to bless And show his love to people on the outside. Because that is what God is like. He's a lover of the disenfranchised. He's a lover of the sick. And it upsets God immensely to stand in his way. 